Hello, this is Elisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project. And before we get into today's episode, I just want to share something with you about the upcoming year. As you all know, God showed himself so faithful in 2016 through the Jude 3 Project and did exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, think, or hope for. We held our first conference with Biola University. We've grown tremendously through the means of social media, we've reached tens of thousands of people and helped equip pastors and leaders from across the country, and we're so thankful for it. This year, we want to impact students on historically black colleges and universities. That's one of our main initiatives for this year. Through the launch of our Historically Black Colleges and University HBCU Tour, and we've been hearing a lot from college students that on HBCU campuses that they're really wrestling on campuses engaging other students. And many students on campuses have this question about Christianity being the white man's religion. We've addressed it a lot through podcasts, but we want to do something different. We want to interact with students on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So we decided to join forces with Dr. Vince Bantu, who's been on the podcast several times and is a is a favorite um, for podcast visits for those who listen. And he's going to go and join our team and go to historically black colleges and universities across the country. We first plan to do all of the campuses, um, 10 to 12 during the spring semester, but we've thought it would be best to wait to the fall to do 10 to 12 schools. But this spring we plan to do three to four by God's grace. On February 6th at 6 p.m. at Bethune-Cookman University, we will host our first event. Um, in addition to that, we hope to go to Howard Clark Atlanta and North Carolina Central um, before April is out. Um, but we need your help. If you believe in the vision and the mission, mission of the Jude 3 Project, we ask that you consider becoming either a monthly supporter or a one-time giver. This gift will help fund the mission of the HBCU tour. We want to explore, to expand, and better equip and provide other resources. We also hope to hire staff this year to help provide resources for the African-American context to be better equipped um, to do what we feel God has called us to do. And so if you've been blessed by this ministry and you can help, we ask that you please do so by sending a financial contribution either a once a month donor or a one-time donor. Anything you could give, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for your continued support. You can give going to www.jew3project.com and there's a donate tab. It's highlighted in red. Again, that's jew3project.com. Again, thank you so much for all you do to support the Jew3 Project. I personally really appreciate it. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. And today I'm joined, by, I'm Lisa Fields, uh, the founder of the Jew3 Project. I forgot to introduce myself. Uh, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, um, Esau McCauley. Welcome, uh, Esau. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, thank you for agreeing to be on. Uh, before we went live, I was talking to you about why we wanted to talk about this subject of research. Our last episode, we had Brother Berean, and he talked about the importance of understanding research when we deal with Black cults. So we thought it was important to help our, our listeners and viewers understand how to do research. And I thought you would be the perfect person because you're not only a professor, but you're in the last, the final leg of your dissertation. So yes. if anybody is connected to research, <laughs> you right now, because yes. uh, you have a dissertation that's gonna be viewed by other uh, department heads that are gonna really critique your work. So yes. you've been in the thick of it and you critique your students who write, <laughs> who write papers for you. So I thought you would be a good person to talk about it. So for those who don't know um, who you are, could you just give a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I am Esau McCauley. I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. Um, I was raised in the Black Baptist Church in the South. Um, now I'm actually an Anglican priest. Um, I'm finishing a PhD in New Testament at the University of St. Andrews on the direction of N.T. Wright. Um, I currently work at Northeastern Seminary in Rochester, New York, where I teach New Testament and early Christianity. Um, I'm married, um, and we have four wonderful kids, Luke, Claire, Peter, and Miriam. So I awesome. Think that's <laughs> awesome. So I'm excited to have you to discuss this topic. Um, before we hit uh, live, we were talking um, just about this whole idea of research. Uh, what do you think some of the misconceptions about uh, research for uh, those who get these facts online or from op pieces? Um, I think that, um, and this is hard to say without sounding arrogant, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think it's hard for people to understand what it really takes to become an expert on something. Um, mm -hmm. And the patience and the solitude and the depth of what it really means to come to grips with the topic. So if you if you want to say, for instance, you want to learn about, um, like I'm teaching a class next year on Ephesians, and I'll probably read 10 to 15 commentaries all the way through on Ephesians. I'll probably translate it through multiple times. I'll read as many journal articles as I can. And that's just to be again to get my head around the topic. And so you you will almost never find me come to a conclusion about anything in like a day, a week, or a month. If it's a topic that's really worth my time and it's gonna affect my life and the way that we might I, I um live as a function as a Christian, then it's it's a long process to come to an understanding on something. And so I think that um given um how quick our culture moves, the life of a scholar um, and is, or the, the life of, of, of Christian intellectualism, is actually a lot slower than our culture moves. And so mm -hmm. I think one of the things that people have to really keep, um, keep, in, keep in their head is like, what does it really take, what does it really mean to know something? Mm -hmm. um, and so I can talk to you about what the process with that, what that would look like if you want me to, or- we Yeah, I think that would be helpful. Okay, um, so say for instance, um, I wanted to come to a conclusion on, let's say, Galatians chapter one. Uh, the first thing I would do is I would read through um, Galatians chapter one in, in the Greek, translate it, um, do text criticism, anal analyze the text, find out the, the earliest and most original reading. Um, I would then from there go and look at 
any uses of the Old Testament um, in Galatians chapter one. I will analyze those. I'll look at that in this Greek and then this Hebrew. And then after that, after I got my understanding of what um, I think the Galatians says, then I have, that's the beginning of the journey. Now there's been 2000 years of Christian history where people have written about Galatians. And I need to know what everybody said from around 300 AD all the way up to 2000. Um, for instance, I was, um, I'm now getting ready to turn in my um, dissertation and I stopped doing research um, in August when I started my new job. And what I'm having to do before I turn this in, in February, I have to read all of the stuff that I missed from, from August till now, which is three articles and a book. <laughs> That's in just like those few months. Mm -hmm. And so after I've said, this is what people have said about Galatians for 1700 years. Right. There's probably 10 or 11 views. And then I say, here are the 10 or 11 views that people have said. What evidence do they do they posit for their beliefs? OK, so like this is view one. What are their evidences? What's the, what, what evidence they have for their belief and how valid is it? And then I have to critique not just the total idea, but the supporting evidence for each one of those. And after I've done all of that and I have something new to say, which is rare. Most of the time, somebody has gotten it right along the way. <laughs> you know, that guy from 1975 he had it right he just got this part wrong and so it is rare really rare to have something genuinely new that no one's ever said before and uh -huh. if someone comes to me and says I have an interpretation nobody's ever seen you're either a genius or a heretic uh -huh. <laughs> and, the, and the odds are you're a heretic and the odds are you're a heretic you're not even a good heretic because most heresies are from something else, right? So, like, mm -hmm. most of them are Aryans. I can say, oh, yeah, someone got that wrong 500 years ago. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of um, at least how I do research. I get my own understanding. I go through 2,000 years of church history. I analyze all the different views that have kind of been put out there. And then I try to either add my own fresh spin on something that's been said before or every now and then we break new ground. So I think that that at least, and I guess you can expect a lay person to do that, but that's at least kind of how a scholar does research. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important and helpful because there's people who read a little bit of something and, and develop an argument, like I was saying before. And, and you mentioned to me that for one chapter in your dissertation, it took you reading through a thousand books. I mean, it would be, it's, it's impossible for me to, <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> I, can't, I have no idea if a thousand is the right number. I have no idea. It's honestly, um, at this point, it's just, who knows? I know that I, <laughs> I, I can say that my bibliography is currently just 22 pages. It'll probably end up being somewhere between 25 to 30 pages of just these are all of the works that I've worked with. And that's with me chopping 80,000 words is the word limit. So um, it's not like it's a long book. They limit you to 80,000 words. Um, and so how many books I read, it, I might sit down and count them all one day, but um, it's three years of 7 a.m., 8 a.m. till 6 o'clock at night, all day, every day, even on Saturdays. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just for, for and this it's not special to me. Anyone who's at a reputable program who's done a PhD has spent a significant portion of their life studying one thing very intently. And it's not just the, it's not just what I've learned about Galatians. 
It's about what it takes to actually know something and get your hands around it and see all the different sides of the issue. Um, mm-hmm. And what I learned is that our instincts are often um, not always correct. And, and even some of the reasons why we might believe something, like so we might hold to a truth of something that is true, but we might have had bad arguments. And what I've learned is if we're patient with Christian orthodoxy, we will often find our way to the truth. And mm-hmm. what tends to happen is that people give up too quickly. They read one or two good arguments against something, and then they kind of say, well, what I've always been taught is wrong. And I always ask them, well, what have you actually read? And so the question is, like, what, like, what do we read? And, and, and I don't want to say, like, um, I don't want to talk bad about my church because I love my church. But we didn't read anything but the King James Bible and those little thin, like, Bible study, like, guides. But we didn't have any real in-depth theological analysis to prepare us to really deal with any arguments. I mean, Mormons would come to our door and we would just say, Jesus, we didn't know any of that stuff. It's <laughs> 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 just like, I'm not here for Mormonism, but we didn't really have, like, arguments. And so mm-hmm. I say, like, if all you've ever done is read your King James Bible and listen to the occasional sermon, you are not equipped to analyze and, or in most cases, even defend what Christians have historically taught. There's too much information out there that you're just most likely not aware of. And so I would say it's important for us to actually be um, well-read in our own tradition, and that would help us not be so easily swayed by the stuff that we see. Mm-hmm. For, for those who are watching and listening, um, what, how would you, what, what would a short version of a step-by-step guide to doing research for, I, I don't want to say specifically for just the Bible, but when we go to church history, um, because there's all, all these kinds of conspiracy theories around councils, um, specifically the Council of Nicaea. And so, you know, you have to start with credible sources in order to research so you won't get swayed. For a person who's watching and doesn't know the steps and their first inclination is just to go to Google and Google it, how would you recommend a step-by-step guide for them to do research? Um, I would find a reputable um, Bible dictionary or a biblical encyclopedia, and I would just read the entry on the topic. So let's say you want to talk about the atonement or you want to talk about the Trinity. Just go to like and get like a one paragraph, one page, very simple um, explanation of the topic. So if you don't know anything about it, don't go to Google. Just find just find like Erdman's Bible Dictionary or, or Dictionary of Classical Theology, and just read the paragraph on it, and that'll give you a beginning point. And a lot of times, at the bottom of those paragraph entries, it'll have see these works. Read those, and, and basically, what you should do is you. It sounds simple. But you start with short stuff and then you read and read and read and read and grow until you've satisfied yourself. So some people say, I'll go from a short book, a short paragraph into the atonement, and then I'll find maybe it'll, it'll, it'll direct me towards an article. Then you read a 15-page article on the atonement. Okay. Now I've been introduced to some of the other ideas. From that, you go to a short book, maybe 100 to 150 pages. And then if you're a boss, you want to be a gangster, then you start saying, what are the, <laughs> what are the classical works on this, right? And, and after you've read those things, you'll see in the footnotes and in the bibliography, it'll always say, for more information, see. And what you can do is you can grow from there out into it. It's not hard to find the um, classical 
um, works on any given topic. So for instance, if you don't know anything about theology, there's a book called, I think it's Christian Theology by Alistair McGrath. And that book will give you the basic history and it's like right down the middle. It'll give you the basic history on what Christians have always taught and said, and it'll, it'll have resources that'll direct you in a bunch of different directions. And the same thing is, is kind of a, a basic introduction to the New Testament and a basic introduction to the Old Testament and an introduction to the letters of Paul. Any of those introductory works will give you an orientation and then direct you further. And you can go from that from there forward. Um, so start small, work towards introductions, and then work towards specialized literature. That's how I would do um, research if I didn't know uh, about something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helpful. Um, in addition to that, when we're when we're talking about um, historical sources um, and we're reading books, what are books that we can look at and say, this is a, how can I be able to make a distinction between a, a reliable book and an unreliable book? Okay. A, a reliable source and one that's it's, it's well researched, and then some a book that just somebody wrote and uh, self published <laughs> and it's out there. Or you know, I've I've been in a a, a a debate. I wasn't personally in a debate. I went to a debate, and it was like a a. a a, a guy who led this black cult and a Christian and they were talking on the HBCU campus. And one of the, when they asked the guy who was over the, was in um, the black cult, I can't remember what it was, which particular one he was, he was listing sources and he was like, this is credible because it's in the library of Congress. And I'm like, okay. I might have to show my, I might have to show my Southern roots. Right. I'll give you a perfect analogy. <laughs> okay. So I'm from I'm from like the South in the mid '90s. In the mid '90s, anything that came out of Dungeon Family, Outkast, Goody Mob, all those people, you said, okay, this is a Dungeon Family. We know it's going to be on, right? And so you could tell by the label, right? This is back on the labels was the by the label, you could say, okay, I'm going to buy this. But then if it was from like mm-hmm. a whack label, like you know my grandma records, you're like, I don't I don't even know this label. <laughs> all these producers, they're probably whack. Yeah. Right? And every now and then, uh-huh. like, oh. He's an independent artist and he's coming up, but most of the time you can say stick with the face, social death, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's actually the same in publishing, right? Mm-hmm. If you are not at a university press, right? That's one place to say, is this a university press? Oxford, Cambridge, Baylor. If a university looked at your manuscript and said, I will publish it, that means other people with PhDs whose job it is to 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 do quality control, they sought. If it is random you press, like there's not attached to a university, it's not, you never heard of it, right? Then the odds mm-hmm. are they sent that manuscript to all of those other people, just like you see your mixtape, and nobody wanted it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you got, and so I would say if this um, scholarship isn't from a from major press, um, then it's probably not reputable. Now, there's there's some there's some other stuff with that. Just because a university press publishes it, it doesn't mean that it's right. It just means that it's scholarly. Mm-hmm. You could be scholarly and wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but but at, least, <laughs> but at least you met the standards of academia, and so um, mm-hmm. and there, it's, the other thing you could kind of say is that there's at least 
within Christian circles, there's also um, publishing companies that have a history of being somewhat orthodox. So IVP, Erdman's, um, I can't think of the other ones now. Um, I can't think. Those are the, those are the, those are the two. Just so like cr- places that Christians tend to publish their books, Zondervan, and so if mm-hmm. if this is just stuff that's just like completely out of left field that is not attached to a university, then the odds are uh, it's not going to be reputable. The other question is who do they interact with? So if you write if you read a book and you say okay then. What kind of sources do they cite? Do they cite other university presses? Do they cite well-known leaders in the field and interact with them? So for instance, and I'm not even trying to be like arrogant, if you're writing a, um, a New Testament book, I mean, a, a book about New Pauline theology, and you don't interact with N.T. Wright, right? And you don't interact with any of the other scholars who are leading the day, but you're like yelling at some pastor, then you're not really doing scholarship, right? You're just doing polemics. And so the question is, are they engaging in the best presentation of Christianity or are they engaging in a caricature? So for me, if I wanted to criticize Islam or uh, like black Muslims, I'm going to find the best representation of what they say. This is the best possible version of a 5% argument. And then I'm going to critique it. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't just say all 5%ers are stupid and here's 15 reasons why. I was like, mm-hmm. and so what? What I tend to see in like in books or in articles, do they actually present what Christians teach, or do they teach? Do they um, um, teach something else? I saw some person. I think it was like, is it Comet or something like that? Comet mm-hmm. Egyptologist. Yeah, she she got on there. God bless her, right? Bless her heart. She started saying like, I'm tired of these Christians saying. God won't give you anything you can't handle. But then she gave it to this 15-minute defense on, like, why the idea was stupid. That's not a principle of Christian theology. It's a catchphrase, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, why, why you spend 15 minutes of your time arguing with the Christian catchphrase instead of, like, coming to the heart of what Christianity teaches about the world? And so mm-hmm. one of the ways you can analyze um, criticisms, are they critiquing the heart of Christianity, or do they have some secondary, like, popular version that they're mad about? they're now yelling at mm-hmm. and that's a good um that's a good good observation because if you're just like you mentioned the the young lady who was critiquing um a, a catchphrase or a cliche of god won't put more you can than you can bear but then you see paul talking about he was you know he had more on him than he could bear yes. uh, and he thought he was gonna he was gonna he was gonna die so i always say that you know god won't put God will put more than you can bear, but he'll never put more on you than he can bear. And I think that's a better reflection of the character of God um, than, you know, some of our catchphrases. So I think that was an excellent point that that you that you drawn out. Um, Another question I have for you is what how do people understand um, primary and secondary sources in research and how do we use those? Because both are necessary. Um, but sometimes people don't necessarily understand how it works in scholarship. Okay. Um, if I want to say, um, what Lisa said, right. If me, if if Mm -hmm. I'm coming for Lisa, I'm coming for Jude three (laughs) and I want to take down your ministry. What I don't do, (laughs) what I don't do then is I don't go and say, 
what somebody else said about Lisa. I quote Lisa herself. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I analyzed Lisa's own words. That's a primary source. A primary source is when you're dealing with an argument, you're dealing with what the person actually wrote or said. So if you want to analyze Paul's theology or you know, if you want to talk about Genesis, a primary source is a direct engagement with that source. And, and a secondary source is someone talking about what the primary source says. And so anytime someone's argument is based upon a bunch of secondary sources, rather than dealing with their primary source, then it's apt. A lot of the times, if you, if you just go and say, wait a minute, they're saying that the Bible says that. Well, where does the Bible say that? People say, well, the Bible says this, but the truth is that. You go, well, where is that actually in the Bible? And if you go back to that actual text, nine times out of ten, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Because let me tell you something. It's not, easy to, it's not easy to become a biblical scholar. That's the reason why you have people who do a PhD in Old Testament and a PhD in New Testament. And with the New Testament, they tend to say, I'm going to do Paul or the Gospels. And so when people just go, the Bible says, the chances are they haven't read the Bible. If they read the Bible, they haven't put all the different pieces together in context. And so when you talk about a primary source, it's the patient return to the text. What does the Bible actually say? What does the Council of Nicaea actually say? Because you know what you can do? You can literally Google Nicaea and read the documents. So there's a conspiracy in Nicaea. Where? <laughs> Where? <laughs> have you read the Have you read the documents from the Council of Nicaea? I like. I look. This dude. This dude. This um. This um. I think it was. I forget. It's the Mormon of Jehovah's Witness. He came to me at Starbucks and he had met the wrong dude, right? <laughs> so he started talking to me about what John 1, 1 says about the identity of God. I said, hold on, buddy. I got, I got the Greek here. We can go through the text. I, I, have, I have the manuscript evidence. Let's talk about it. And it's rare that they actually know the primary sources. They know what they've been told to say about the primary sources. So it's like, if you're a Christian and you know the Bible, say, let's walk through this passage. As a matter of fact, let's say you write about this passage. What about these 15 other passages that speak about Jesus' this divine identity here? Okay, let's put this to the side. And so I guess the question is, when you're dealing with issues of primary or secondary literature, it's an argument that is oftentimes constructed in a reality that's separate from what the text actually says. And Christianity is not afraid of history. We can return to the sources. Because the evidence is on our side. What are they saying? I don't even know. Like it's funny because this stuff doesn't even come into our arena. Um, so what are they saying about Nicaea? What's the what's this conspiracy? Um that's a good question. <laughs> I had a conspiracy theories about Nicaea. It was something that uh, Brother Berin mentioned yeah. um that he encounters. But my context is different. So I'm in the deep south, so I don't encounter it. He's in New York. So mm-hmm. our context is different. So I don't come uh come in contact with a lot yeah. of them. I do every now and then. Yeah. Um, but you know, I know that they're ever changing as far as their uh their conspiracy theories as mm-hmm. it relates to it. Um so I wouldn't be sure what the I think it's okay. something to do with oppression. Uh, but I, I don't want to quote it wrong. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, know, I, know I know everybody want to make people. They've been coming for black people forever. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's this whole idea with people not knowing 
the right history or knowing where to get a credible source. Something that I did research of this weekend was there were two um, scholars in kind of this thought of uh, the black man being the original man, the Egyptologist and all the Moors and a leader in the Pan-African movement, Pan movement. And uh, when I look back at his bio, I looked and saw that they had the New York Times had ran after he passed, um, had ran an article saying that they call, I think it was Cambridge, yeah, where he had planned to go to school. And they said they had no record of him ever attending. And all of his books were self-published. And so people were using these books as kind of uh, guides. And then when you go back and research and yeah. look at his sources, <laughs> they're quoting each other, other other so-called scholars and then another guy researched he had his phd from a place that didn't even ever exist it was like see how they do see how they do see how they do what i, <laughs> what I was going to say is one other thing that you can do is that when you look on any given topic um so for instance you have to do it's called history of research mm -hmm. right so before you're allowed to comment on something you have to go through and say these are all the topics what you mm -hmm. can do is you can go and and look at, say, look at the history of research on Egypt and see if the crazy theory is even mentioned as an option. And most of the time, it's not even mentioned as an option. So not only is this wrong, it's so wrong that people don't even take the time to say that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's really but hard. There's no scholarly uh, research done on it because yeah, no, nobody took it. No, and so what, what you tend to find is that if a view isn't even considered in the research. Oftentimes, it's because they've never submitted their um, proposals to real scholarly critique. So when my book is published, some every, anyone who has an uh, interest in New Testament scholarship, there'll be book reviews. And they'll say, Esau was wrong about this, this, and this. Because I've now submitted myself to public review. To be honest, mm -hmm. I don't go like directly to, um, and so if you don't do that and you're kind of going around it and you're not submitting yourself to people who are experts in the field and you're sounding impressed with people who don't really often aren't informed on all the topics, that's kind of a cheap way of establishing yourself. If you want to be considered a scholar, you have to submit your stuff to public, public review by sending it to journals sending it to university presses and sending it to reputable publishers. That's what you do if you care about, presenting your ideas to the public and taking the time to make sure it's properly vetted. It's the same way when people do the same stuff with medicine, right? My wife is a pediatrician and it drives her crazy <laughs> when these mm -hmm. folks are talking about um, all of these things about vaccines and all this other stuff. But she goes, you don't, you don't have a medical degree. You Googled like two herbs and you put like a leaf on your profile picture and you call yourself an herptologist and now it's kids in her pediatric department with rashes because they their parents have put together their own organic way of dealing with it <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the funny thing about it is when the kids get sick they go to real doctors mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's the same thing right so like it's one thing to say i'm going to dabble in scholarship which is another thing to take the time to become um knowledgeable. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a PhD. It means you have to be patient enough to read and really come to an informed decision. If you take a, a PhD to know something, then we'd be in real bad shape because that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that it takes patience and wide reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and reading information that's not just <laughs> just not a book that you said it was in the Library of Congress because I mean that that's, <laughs> that's a lot of books. Um, so I think this is this has been helpful for people who are trying to to learn engage and I I want to encourage our our those who are viewing us to really look at the credentials of the person you are reading. Make sure that they actually, if they say they have a PhD, then you start looking at the schools they 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 have it from and see, is this actually a school? Um, is it like an actual reputable university um, before you take their research as, as valid? Uh, because if, if they're lying about where they went to school or if the school... Never, even if the school never existed, if they're lying about where they went to school, it's the chances that they're lying about what's in that book as well. So yeah. um, those are just some, you know, some common sense things we get put into practice. Don't just see the the letters behind the name, but research the letters behind the name, um, because that's a way you can really kind of avoid error in that in that way. Yeah, and can I, can I, can I say can I say like send a shout out to pastors? Like, yeah. Be patient with your pastors. I mean, don't automatically assume just because the person, I'm assuming if you have a Bible loving Jesus following pastor, <laughs> um, sometimes they, it's their job to be read and to be informed. And just because they don't have, sometimes our itching ears want to hear new things. And just because your pastor tells you the same thing is true, it doesn't mean that, um, you should automatically abandon it. And I should also say one, one other thing. Like, we have to be careful about how our desire leads our interpretation. Mm-hmm. We want to sin oftentimes, right? We will follow the piece of advice that allows us to do what we want. And so it's mm-hmm. not that we come to this text with these neutral, like, I don't really care which one is true, right? And then we mm-hmm. analyze it. We're actually, our natural bent is to abandon Christian orthodoxy because when we do, that gives us the freedom to do what we want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So we always have to recognize, like, what do I want to believe because of my own desires? And how is that infor- how is that informing my reading of the text? And so not only do we have to be uh, careful of the motives of other people, we have to be careful of our own motives. We have a vested interest in the interpretation of these texts and it impacts how we live. And so mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, like, Sin, uh, Jesus said I mean, uh, in the Old Testament, the decay, like sin's desire is for you, but you must master it. And so, mm-hmm. the deceptive desire of sin that oftentimes leads us to false interpretation. It's called the noetic effect of sin, how sin influences our knowing. And so, it's yes, look at all of these sources, but sometimes you know, sometimes we know deep in our hearts this stuff ain't true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know it's not true, but we want to be foul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, it, yeah. oftentimes it's not the, it's not arguments that brings us back to the truth. Oftentimes we see the consequences of our actions, and then we go, you know what? I knew this wasn't true anyway. I need to quit tripping and go back to church. So save yourself unrighteousness. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like I understand that we have to talk about the resources and all that other stuff, but I'm like in some sense traditional in saying like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, your pastor. And check your own desires. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's good because you know you see when the New Testament talks about false teachers, you see the connection between their a life uh, that's in that's uh, been uh, 
tainted by sin and false teaching. So they see, they tend to coincide yeah. when I go and do what I want to do and then try to look at scripture. I'm kind of going to find a loophole, yeah. try to find a loophole for myself. Because people, people will keep finding arguments until they find it. Okay, that's a whack argument. Uh, that's a whack argument. That's a whack argument. This was plausible. Well, why did you go through five different versions? Because you were looking for a way out. Right, <laughs> you kept looking until you found one argument that worked because you wanted to leave anyway. I remember, and I know you got to go. I had this conversation with this dude one time, and we talked for like three hours. We went through apologetics, church history, theology. I'm talking about everything. He's not a believer, right? So it's about two, one or two o'clock in the morning. I'm still in college. He says to me, "So you're trying to say if I become a Christian, I got to stop speaking with my girlfriend?" I said, like, "We even say anything about your girlfriend, <laughs> but that's what was <laughs> in your mind the whole time." <laughs> we had mentioned anything about relationships, anything, but in the back of the mind, as you listen to church history and theology, you're thinking about what you're going to do on Saturday. I said, if that's the case, you could have saved me three hours. <laughs> and, <I> was, <laughs> right? and so what I'm saying is, like, we can't pretend like these theological arguments are purely theologically, purely theological, and that's not always an emotional, psychological, or spiritual thing. And some of it is even some of it is even driven by anger. I'm sorry, like I understand churches treat people foul, and people have bad experiences in churches, and because they have bad experiences in churches, they begin to think that Christianity, Christian theology, is false. And underneath all of that stuff, it's not just problems with, with church or Jesus as a person; it's problem with how churches treated them. And we what we have to do is to process this. Like, am I reading this? Because I'm mad at my pastor because he was he or she was a jerk to me when I was a kid, or am I really persuaded by the evidence? And so we really have to get to the heart of not just doing analysis of other people. We have to analyze ourselves and who we are and what we bring to the text. Yes, I think that's excellent. I think that's right. a great way to end the I, conversation. I, I, I've talked to you to death. Oh no, you're you're great. I think this is very helpful because you, you helped us understand both perspectives, not just the scholarly perspective, but the spiritual perspective. And, you know, both of those are very helpful in looking at how we interact with people in a balanced way. So I'm very grateful uh, for that contribution. Um, how can people get connected to you or reach out to you? Um, your social media handles, is there a website? Man, um, ain't nobody worried about me. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess I'm on Twitter, uh, but I don't tweet that much. Um, it's Esau McCauley. I guess at, at Twitter, that's how you do it. <laughs> it would be at Esau McCauley. <laughs> um, I do. That. You sound like I am about Snapchat. I don't. I don't no, no, know what's I'm, going. I'm, here. I'm, I'm 37 years old. I'm not here for that Snapchat. I'm grown. Uh, <laughs> um, what else? I, I, I do have a blog that I write for whenever I, I have time. It's called The Thicket of the Jordan. Um, um. And so people go look for that, thinking of the Jordan, not wordpress.com. Um, come to seminary, come to Northeastern Seminary, get a deep in, pull yourself together. Um, <laughs> Google us for that. And, or if you, if you want, you can get like an MA or MDiv. So, but just in general, I would rather have them pray for me because I got to turn in my dissertation in two weeks. So they're looking for yeah, this. So yeah, Dr. Esau. Uh, they, they, they should be interceding for me. So I don't know how. I don't know. I'm, I'm the only Esau McCauley that you that exists in the world, except for my dad. So if you Google me, I'm easy to find. I, I, that's probably the easiest way. If you get anything close to Esau McCauley, I'll come up. 
<laughs> would you like to add anything else before we before we close that you think would be helpful? Um, I hope that more African Americans seriously consider the life of uh, a scholar. I know when people go to seminaries, most of the time there are very few black faces. Um, and I hope that, especially in the core disciplines of New Testament, Old Testament, um, and systematic theology. Sorry, folks calling me. Um, and I would really hope that people would do that. And I would say, please, please, please keep supporting Jude 3. When I heard about it, I said, they have a black woman doing apologetics. I said, well, praise Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I was so excited about it. And I want to encourage you, because I think what you're doing, besides having me on, is really important. Um, <laughs> It is really helpful, and I pray that I pray that it continues to grow and expand. And I, and and I hope that people will see like what happens when God gives you a vision to do something, and you pursue a faithfulness. And so, if God puts something on y'all heart to do, because there's not a lot of um, African American public intellectuals from a traditional theological perspective, the more of those, the better. Get your degrees now, <laughs> but please, 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 please. Um, more than, but especially if you have questions about that, I'd be happy to chat with you offline. Um, I'm like really big and trying to help connect people with um, higher education and getting involved if they want to. So thank you. Keep working hard, Lisa. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jew 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible Engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play, or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage Scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Book, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.